Welcome to the latest edition of the Business Matters podcast with me, Richard Alfin. I'm pleased to be joined today by Marcus Kauke, founder of Last Last, the author of Making Channel Sales Work, and fractional sales officer for tech startups. Morning, Marcus. Morning. Thanks, Richard. Uh, Marcus, uh, that's quite a long uh, introduction, but uh, you know, you've got two decades of being uh, a sales coach and sales training. And do you want to give us just a bit more background, a bit more colour um, to that uh, introduction? Yeah, I've been in sales for 35 years, the last 17 working as a sales trainer and coach. Uh, helped my clients across 500 different segments of the market generate six and a half billion worth of additional sales. Uh, I've worked in everything from naked platters and female fantasy fulfillment uh, to selling defense, uh, every hue, shape and color of software, professional services, construction, you name it. And um, my MO is essentially holding up the ugly mirror to people getting them out of their own way and stopping them from doing stupid things like giving away free consulting, wasting time on non-opportunities, needless discounting and making one-sided concessions and giving away their power. And most of my time is uh, has historically uh, been spent on clearing the noise between their ears that's preventing them from being successful. Excellent. Thanks, Marcus. Um- in your experience, uh, what would you say is the one defining factor uh, that stops business actually getting um, the sales that they need, sales that they want, or to hit the targets that they need? The one defining factor is probably more than that, but the main thing is selfishness. Um, customers don't care about you, your company, your products, your services. Uh, they don't need to see a photograph of your headquarters. Um, they're not interested in your history. They want to know, can you help? And do you have their best interests at heart? And the minute you put yourself between them and their decision to buy, frankly, uh, you're a write-off. The minute you lie to them, the minute you try and manipulate or push them, um, you're toast. So you need to understand that everything has to start with your customer. They are at the heart of everything that you do. But most organizations forget that. They think that uh, everyone should buy their products or their services. And frankly, they don't care. It's just like showing photos of your ugly children to strangers. Um, you say that sort of uh, using tricks um, it, you know, doesn't work. A, a manipulation um, can be seen through. But at the same token, uh, you know, a lot of uh, sales training uh, um, and uh, sales processes use, you know, stuff like NLP, neuro-listening programming, um, you know, cl- closed questions. So uh, is that a different kind of manipulation that is acceptable? Or do you think that actually that has had its day as well? I think to a large extent, all of them have had their day. The, the problem is that it starts with intent. Um, if you don't intend to serve your customer they will pick up on it you're not going to override 300 million years of evolutionary hardwiring uh, to pick up threats and um, th- this is why people get a gut feel about you or your salespeople. Um, and the the intent behind how you use a tactic uh, will determine how they respond because you get reflected back what you project out um, so what, what I've seen, uh, I've worked with thousands of salespeople over the years, and what, what I've recognized is the people who genuinely, authentically care, uh, 
about their customer, about their prospect, and they put them front and center are typically the ones who thrive. Um, you can get away with uh, making a tactical move once or twice, um, and uh, you can get away with doing it multiple times as long as you don't want to go back. Um, but if you're interested in generating a lifetime partnership with your customers and selling to them year after year after year after year and creating a partnership where you challenge each other, you help each other to get better, then you have to shift your thinking. And technique is, uh, has its place. When I was a trainer, I saw people apply technique with great effect and they would get a 10 to 30% improvement in their sales. The ones who applied it with the correct intent and understood the psychology beneath it, they would get results of 300, 500, 800, 1200, 1400%. Now, I don't know about you, but I would much rather the latter than the former. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, would you say that, uh, you know, we've lost a lot of talk, and, and, and I know you'll get onto it in a minute, but talking about sales funnels and processes, um, you know, I'm assuming that actually having a, a, a proper process and a qualified funnel um, is actually, you know, the key to some of those very large percentage increases. Um, yes, but again, less, uh, more is not better. Better is better. And this is a fundamental misunderstanding I see in lots of organizations um, and from lots of leaders. They think that if you pile more in at the top, more will come out at the bottom. But actually, more often than not, um, what you need to do is you need to refine and refine and refine. And I would rather uh, people working in my sales teams were having 15 to 20 really good conversations uh, each day rather than 300 dial attempts. The dial attempts are irrelevant. They're just noise and they're an interruption. Um, whereas going for a minimum of five unique effective conversations each day where you make the dial, you get past the gatekeeper, you get through to the decision maker and you engage in a meaningful, relevant, and let me stress, relevant conversation that adds value to that person's day because you are contextually appropriate. Your timing is right. You're speaking to their uh, real-world uh, pains and problems, and you're helping them realize that they can achieve the intended outcome that they want to achieve. Um, then five of those conversations will get you to hit your quota. Uh, I've, in a professional services business, in a software business, uh, I've yet to come across anybody where those five effective conversations each day were not sufficient. Um, so it's not about volume and it's not about activity. It's about taking meaningful action that is relevant to your prospect and where you're bringing value. But, you know, I've got a real beer in my bonnet about uh, the level of marketing automation, the amount of money that's being spent on interruption, irrelevant marketing. Did you know that 98.81% of all adverts served up on Facebook and Google get one click or less? That is 4.2 quadrillion pointless adverts that are inflicted on prospects and customers. And then there's that absolute travesty, which is remarketing. Um, you buy a Mercedes, and for the next six weeks, you get inflicted more adverts about more Mercedes that you've already bought and you've got no interest in. Um, so you're seeing all of this stuff, this emphasis on um, 
activity and on measurement of stuff that doesn't matter. Uh, it certainly doesn't matter to the customer. And this is where the focus has gone completely awry. And for your listeners, your cus- you exist because of your customer, not in spite of them. They're not um, an interruption to your day. They're the ones that pay your bill, pay, uh, you know, put the roof over your head. Um, so serve them. Service is not servitude, but you need to be relevant. And um, if you, you guys haven't read it yet, read a book by a guy called Mark Schaefer called Marketing Rebellion. Um, and it's about humanizing your entire conversation with customers and prospects. And we've forgotten that. So retargeting aside, you really are rebelling against the old fashioned, as you're putting it, adage of uh, you know, sales being a numbers game. That's always been piffle. Absolute pish and tosh. The, the, sales is not a numbers game. Prospecting has some element of numbers. I mean, you've got to have a certain volume there. But in all honesty, I would rather um, you actually did your research and you were relevant to the individuals that you spoke to. Um, and you use multiple channels uh, to contact them. And one of the stupidest things I hear um, is, you know, I read a, a study a couple of months ago that it takes 18 touches uh, to get through to someone in the C-suite. Well, uh, in all probability, on the 18th touch, they picked up by accident. Um, the, the question you should be asking is, why did the other 17 get ignored? Yeah. So, so really, it, what you're saying is a proper, well-researched, uh, not pitch as such, but approach um, could actually bear that £100,000, £200,000 sale from the first interaction, as opposed to having to do the qualified leads and this and that and do a proposal and, a, and a, you know, do a, a great big six-page PDF, et cetera, et cetera. A well, well, let, a well, let, me, let me put this into context. McKinsey did a study about two years ago where they said 86% of chief executives hate receiving cold calls. In the same study, 83% of chief executives love receiving a good, relevant cold call. Therein lies the clue. Be relevant and do a good job. Okay. Um, and you're not always going to get through. These are busy people. Um, so you need to find different routes in. Uh, you need to have a content strategy. Uh, you need to use referrals in your network. Um, you need to get introductions through uh, second level contacts that you share. Um, uh, into through LinkedIn, uh, into those people. Um, you need to be someone who delivers value on every touch. Um, but most uh, most cold calls and most outreach is just selfish noise. It blathers on about you, your magic server, uh, your uh, shiny piece of software, um, or your hemorrhoid cream, whatever it is. If you don't have hemorrhoids and you're then sending me uh, marketing about hemorrhoid cream, you're going to miss the mark. Um, so be relevant and think about the customer journey. What we forget is the customer's journey begins way, 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 way before we ever touch them. Um, so um, uh, pay attention to a guy called Colin Shaw as well. His company is Beyond Philosophy, and he's got a beautiful blog on LinkedIn. But he describes the journey to, of a customer journey to McDonald's. It starts when one of your kids screams, I'm hungry. And then you go through the battle and eventually you capitulate and you pile all these ankle biters into the car. Um, 
And then you drive through traffic and you eventually get to the drive-in and there are seven other cars in front of you and they're fighting and World War Three is breaking out. Oh, why can't we have our food? And then they give you their order and then they change their mind. And when you get to the squawk box, you think you're going to get it wrong. And the sound quality isn't great. And the person on the other end doesn't speak great English. And so you give the order and then they change their mind and you have to change the order. Then they read it through again and eventually you get to pay, which is probably the least painful part of the process, ironically, having the wallet-ectomy. Um, then you pick up your food. Now, experience has taught you that they're going to get the order wrong. So you check it, but you've got seven hungry people, uh, cars behind you and you're feeling the pressure. And then you pile the food in the back. Meanwhile, uh, milkshakes going over your upholstery. Um, they're fighting over who got the best toy. Uh, you get home. Now you've got to deal with some vomit and some indigestion. You've got to get rid of the packaging. That's the customer journey. But from a McDonald's employee, it's you turn up, you make the order, you pay your money, you pick up the food. Now, we have to think as the customer, not about them. We have to think as them. And the problem is that most of us don't understand that customers rent our products or services for as long as they deliver the outcomes that they need. Don't think of them as yours forever. The minute you set, have that sense of entitlement to a customer, you're toast. And again, don't focus just on the acquisition of the customer. Focus on keeping them, their level of utilization, their level of delight. Because an unhappy customer is always looking around. A satisfied customer is your competitor's best prospect. Because someone only has to come along with a marginal gain, and now you're in a bid process. And a, a really delighted customer is overwhelmingly happy because of the incontrovertible value that you deliver. When a competitor comes along, they'll say, Richard, we just heard from these guys, and they can do this. Can you help us with that? And they'll tell you someone else's secret sauce. So what we should be focused on is acquiring uh, lifetime customers, creating an environment with massively, overwhelmingly highly engaged employees. And I'll explain why in a minute. Uh, customers who use the full range of our products and services, who uh, buy again and again and again, and then introduce you to their wealthy friends. But the problem is that most people are so fixated on the wrong end of the problem. They're either uh, you know, trying to hit this quarter's numbers instead of building a business that has strong fundamentals and long-lived uh, long customer base. Um, but that subject around um, highly engaged employees is really key. Um, a study was done of the Standard & Poor's 500, the S&P 500, between 2010 and 2016. What they found, the difference between companies that highly engaged employees and uh, only marginally engaged or disengaged employees was the companies with highly engaged employees generated. Now, get this, if you're a cold-blooded, uh, soulless capitalist, okay, they got 430% higher profit per employee, 290% higher revenue per employee, a 40% lower rate of churn and staff turnover, 20% higher productivity, and over, I think it was 316% annual compound year-on-year -year, uh, share price growth compared with everybody else. So look after your people. 
Yeah. So when you say look after your people also, uh, and I know that you've said this before, um, that it's not just looking after the, your people that you've actually, you know, that are employed. It's actually, you know, your sale, quite a lot of sales processes actually fail by hiring the wrong salespeople. Um, and also, you know, founders, managing directors, uh, business owners actually wanting a salesperson to be almost a clone of themselves when actually that's probably not what they want at all. Uh, hiring your own image only weaker is a recipe for disaster. Um, I've, I've recently designed a recruitment process for one of my clients and it's worked a storm. And so I'm going to share with you what we did. Uh, first of all, we identified uh, the skills we wanted uh, these people to have by the time we were finished. And we put a full interview process in place for graduates. Make recruitment difficult. Make them fight for it. Because the more they can't have it, the more they want it. And we wanted to see that they were coachable, that they were adaptable, how they responded under pressure, what they were like in team situations, whether they could take direction, um, whether they would push back and challenge if they um, didn't understand. And this interview process uh, taught them how to create an agenda and an agreement about what would happen at the end of each um, step. Um, we made sure that they learned how to plan for a call and to debrief a call. We made sure they knew how to research a marketplace uh, and look at the strategic implications. Uh, we made sure they understood how to analyze a competitor, how to map out an account that would become a prospect. And so through that process, we managed to filter out until we had two at the end. And then we set them a really difficult task uh, with very short notice. One of them crumbled and uh, took umbrage and felt entitled. The other one responded with incredible grace and did a fantastic job. And we hired her. Now, what was really interesting through that process was throughout, whenever she was under pressure, she just responded with grace. And she responded with humility and vulnerability all the way throughout. Now, that's really interesting because when you see um, salespeople, the classic model is that they're gung-ho, full of confidence and all that kind of stuff. But you don't want to buy from one of them because this particular salesperson was authentic all the way through. And there is truth in people uh, buy from people they know, like, and trust. But that first purchase is they have to trust you. They can know and like you, but not trust you. And you ain't getting a penny out of them. Um, but they have to trust you. And trust comes from vulnerability, being authentic, being fully present, caring. It comes from listening. And again, a skill that almost no recruitment process looks for is the ability to listen. I have never listened my way out of a sale. I've, sold, I've talked my way out of plenty, as you can probably tell. Um, and um, the problem is that people buy for their own reasons. They come to work for their own reasons. Um, they sell for their own reasons. And so one of the principal uh, uh, areas that we paid attention to was the individual candidates motivation why did they want this job why do they want to be in sales what is it they're looking for from their career beyond the money because the money frankly is a really poor 
uh, motivator. You know, people who say they're motivated by money are normally just giving you the answer they think you want. No one or very few people are motivated by money. Uh, money provides you with choices. It allows you to provide uh, security. It allows you to have experiences. And so what we wanted to do was get to the human being under the surface, under the uh, facade of what they were presenting at the early stages of the interview. We wanted to get to that, the real nub of who that person is, um, because they're the person going to be representing us in front of customers for the next five years. And we're not interested in recruiting people for the job. Um, I mean, uh, what you should recruit for is what you cannot train. You need to recruit for values. You need to recruit for motivation. You need to recruit for habits. You need to recruit for their ability to bounce back and learn. You need to recruit for um, attitudes, values, beliefs, which form the hub of motivation. And I would rather find someone of medium competence and high trust because then they will work great uh, within the team. Um, customers will be willing to open up to them, but you don't see that in people with low trust. Mm. On the subjects of presence, um, obviously with the current situation, um, of either socially distanced within a workplace, within a sales floor, sales department, or everyone working remotely from home. Do you think that changes, A, how a sales manager, sales director manages their team, and also how uh, the actual sales team themselves actually go about prospecting, reaching out, um, and, and you know, the whole sales process? Yes, but it shouldn't. The reality is, if you were a good manager, you would always care about your people first. And what we've seen is the managers who really cared about their people have continued to care about their people. And their opening question is, well, you know, talk to me, isn't talk to me about your pipeline. It's how are you, Richard? How are you coping? Yeah, anything I can do to help. Um, and that's what great managers should be doing. Managers have five functions that should be on every job description for a sales manager. And I think for every manager, hire the best people. Never compromise on recruitment. If you hire the best people, then 95% of your management problems go out the window. Then get the best out of them. That means a proper recruitment process with clear expectations, with a proper uh, selection process with clear feedback all the way through where you treat people fairly. Um, and uh, once you've gotten through the recruitment process, you have a good pre-onboarding process. So during their notice period, you set them up to succeed and achieve a fast start. Um, you introduce them to lots of people within the team so that they're already familiar. Um, you have a good onboarding process and that first 120 days is key. Because in the first 120 days, they're deciding, is this a job I was sold? Is my boss an ass? Do I like the company? Do I like the people? Was I better off where I was? Would I be better off somewhere else? So hire the best people, get the best out of them. That also means proper training, coaching. And let me stress this. The superpower of the best managers is coaching. Uh, the difference between managers who coach their people, genuine coaching, and those who don't. Those who do for three to three and a half hours per month individually 
get an average quota attainment of 105%. Those who don't get an average quota attainment of 40 to 60%, which is why in 2019, only 44% reps, uh, 44 of reps hit their quota. Only 13% of sales teams hit their quota. And in an SRC study that came out in January 2020, uh, it was uh, identified that 94% of sales managers are not fit for purpose. Okay, so hire the best people, get the best out of them, hold them to account as well and have consequences. Make sure they have the tools and resources they need to do their best work every day. So a question I'm asking senior executives and sales leaders is what is the minimum level of technology that a salesperson needs in order to do their best work? Now, you see this technology spaghetti in many organizations where they've got 15 different um, uh, types of marketing technology, marketing automation, sales uh, automation. And what that has done is distanced marketing and sales from the human beings that are customers. Um, so I'll come back to that in a minute. Um, then uh, to um, make sure um, that... Uh, so uh, hire the best people, get the best out of them, make sure they're doing the best work every day. Clear the path. So help them clear roadblocks. Um, help them uh, protect them from acts of idiocy from senior management as well, because God knows that happens a lot. And again, another one that I've added, which I think is really important, is be inclusive. Make sure they have a voice. Everybody, all human beings want to be heard, feel felt, and be understood. And if as a manager, you don't listen to your salespeople, I think you are doing yourself and them a massive disservice. Okay. Now, uh, one of the challenges here is that um, people um, in sales think their job is to sell. Actually, it's not. Their job is to find people who need help and help them decide to buy. And there's a massive difference critical difference um, and the problem is that if you're there to try and sell and you'll hear this in bad organizations what can we do to get deals in this quarter well you should be asking a better question which is where did we go wrong 12 16 18 weeks ago when we should have been doing prospecting and filling our pipeline up um, why are we now panicking there to try and make up the difference on stuff that we should have done before because most managers look at the wrong end of the problem. They look at symptoms. They don't look at um, uh, the root cause of the problem. And this is where things go wrong. And so you've got to be clear. Um, ambiguity is the mother of all food bars. And ambiguity at the top leads to politics at the bottom. Um, if you are not clear about what your values are, then chances are you won't be filtering all of your decisions through those values. And we see companies without values, without clear direction, and they end up uh, in uh, you know, political infighting. Uh, they end up uh, seeing the customer as an inconvenience. Uh, I just interviewed Martin Lindstrom, uh, who you may know from biology and small data. Um, you know, he's the number one branding guy worldwide. And um, he uh, was uh, recounting a really interesting experience. Um, one of his shipping clients um, wanted to look at how they could be more effective and engage more with the customer. And he listened into their calls. And in customer service, um, 
what they found was customer uh, queries were resolved incredibly quickly, way above industry average. And it was by accident because there was a box that the uh, call center reps could take, uh, which was force majeure, which is basically is some you know, a global crisis like pandemic or an earthquake. If they click that, then there was no paperwork. There, was no, there, there weren't 15 pages of things to fill in. So all the call center reps, because they were targeted on the speed with which they handled complaints, uh, were just clicking force majeure. Everything was force majeure. Um, so it's driving an unintended consequence, but actually it happened by dint of luck uh, to deliver the outcome uh, which the customers wanted, which was quick handling of their problem. But again, we're not asking the right questions. If you want better answers, you have to ask better questions. And I don't think that is something that enough managers or salespeople do. On the subject of asking the right questions, I know you've got quite a, a strong opinion on what a sales graph and a sales funnel should look like. So uh, and obviously asking the right questions, etc. So do you want to you know, give our listeners a bit of a, an insight into, into your thinking um, of, uh, of what a sales funnel looks like? Okay, well, I'm going to caveat this with you prospect for choice. Okay, so bear that in mind as I describe what most sales funnels look like. They look like an old pair of gray baggy granny knickers, wide at the top, wide and bulgy in the middle, and uh, saggy in the gusset. Um, and you've got no idea what's real. Uh, what we know is that only 44% of what's forecast actually happens on average. Um, so less than half of your uh, forecast um, is reliable. So you see this all the time where managers take whatever the salesperson do and then they you know, basically halve it or third it um, because they don't trust it. And then that gets passed up the chain of command and they fiddle it again and fiddle it again, fiddle it again. And 80% of what goes into the CRM is actually dross. Um, and companies are making strategic decisions on the basis of 80% of the data being wrong. Now, what a funnel should look like is a thong. It needs to be wide at the top, so you've got lots of opportunities coming in at the top. Uh, then it narrows and narrows and narrows and narrows until all you've got left are the ones who you have tried to disqualify, but they haven't made it out. And so you've got a, and the bottom of the funnel is made up of three, five, 12 opportunities for every deal you need to bring in. And so you don't have to take um, uh, any uh, guff from your prospect. Um, if they want a discount, you can say no because you don't need this deal. And salespeople need to prospect so that they want it but don't need it. Um, you don't have to make last-minute concessions. You don't have to uh, give away uh, unnecessary uh, additional value. Um, what you can do is you can say, you know, Richard, uh, we're in no rush. Let, let's just wait. Because what bad salespeople and bad managers have taught buyers to do is wait till the end of the sales period because you get the fireside sale and you get people doing the bargain basement. Um, none of that's necessary if you've done your job correctly. Talking about bargain basement, and obviously we are in difficult times and a number of businesses or tens of thousands of businesses have gone under. Um, what is there sort of, you know, one or two defining points that companies that are struggling at the moment could do with focusing on and changing and tweaking their sales process to make sure that they are not one of the statistics? Um, 
that that's a really interesting question because it can't, there are so many answers to it. But the first thing I would do is make sure you are relevant and timely. Um, don't just uh, you know double down on uh, doing bad work uh, and uh, assault lots of people's inboxes uh, with spam and unwelcome calls. Make sure you're relevant. So speak to your best customers. Find out what it is that causes them not only to buy, but to keep buying. Um, and identify what great looks like and what are the red threads that run through them. And then look for people just like them. People tend to refer people like themselves. So again, look for your ideal customer um, and then ask them who they know and ask if they'd be willing to give an introduction. Um, get more customer hero stories um, because, again, I mean, tell me this. When was the last time you bought a product off a, a website where there were only three stars? Yeah, not very often. <laughs> Do you know over 80% make looking for negative reviews part of their um, customer journey? Okay. So, again, what's really interesting is uh, you need to be authentic. I think you need to lead with your glass chin and say, go on, if you hit me here, it'll break. Um, so admit to your failings. You shouldn't be perfect. You aren't perfect. Um, so tell people why they shouldn't buy. Um, when I sell, I always tell people two things which are true. Um, the first is I am eye-wateringly, sphincter-poppingly expensive. Whatever amount of money you'd set aside for training or my services, whatever they are now, um, then I always told them it was going to be more money than they wanted to spend. So let's just get that elephant out in, uh, in the open um, and see if we need to fight early. Because uh, I, I have a firm belief that you, if you're going to fight, you may as well fight at the beginning rather than waiting seven months and eight meetings later. Um, the next thing is working with me is almost never a pleasant experience. If what you were looking for um, was uh, someone to give you hugs and cuddles, I'm probably not the guy to go to. Um, but if you want someone who will always tell you the cold, unvarnished truth, who will help you raise your game and will make sure that you are constantly uncomfortable so you're always raising the bar, um, then, yeah, we should talk. Um, I think uh, something else that you should do is you should be respectful of their time. Um, I, what I see a lot of salespeople do is steal prospects' time, marketing, invading people's inboxes, popping up on their screen. Get permission. I think we've lost the art of asking permission. And um, certainly with the teams that I'm building, we're making permission central uh, to what we do because we know it matters. You know, to, to a customer who is busy or a prospect who is busy, being respectful of their time. And when you approach them, make sure that within 15 to 30 seconds, you've conveyed the value that you are going to bring to the conversation in a way that's meaningful. Don't uh, start a call with, I'm just checking in. I don't care. I'm too busy to have you just check in. But if every time you touch me, through your email, through LinkedIn, through your phone calls, through content that you send me. I derive value. I will look forward to your call. In fact, if you call me, I will probably put someone else on hold to take your call.
just to let you know that I've got it and maybe we need to reappoint or I'll just hang up on the other person. And you have to be hyper-relevant. Um, is also uh, one of the objections that salespeople have is obviously, you know, to the, the prospect says, oh, can you send me a proposal? Can you put that in writing? Um, and the salesperson then, you know, has creates, spends three hours creating a six, eight, ten page proposal, uh, relevant facts, a bit of background on the actual prospect themselves, although they, you know, they, know, about, they know who they are. Um, is that a failing or is that something that should actually be still being, being carried on? It should never have been carried on unless you know why you're doing it. Um, you, know, you, you can't blame the prospect for uh, finding the easy way to get an idiot off the phone. Um, so did they ask why they wanted the proposal, what needed to go in it in order for them to buy, who was going to read it, how they were going to use it, where are they in their decision-making cycle, are they gathering information, are they defining the specification and getting free consultancy from idiots? Um, are they um, you know, at the point where they're ready to uh, invest and solve their problem? Um, you know, salespeople don't do anywhere near enough qualification. And they think that um, doing a demo is somehow moving the sale forward. Doing a demo early in the sale is a demo to someone who can say no, or maybe, but not anyone who can say yes. I mean, when was the last time a software demo that happened on the first call um, happened to a decision maker who was willing and able to make uh, the decision, willing and able to invest the time, the money, the resources, give access to the people who you need to qualify. None of that, uh, because uh, salespeople are targeted on booking demos. SDRs and BDRs are targeted on that. Uh, it's a stupid thing to do, because all you've done is you've shown, you know, it's a, this is, again, showing photo, uh, your holiday snaps of you being drunk in a pool in Ibiza uh, to a total stranger and wondering why they don't get excited. They'll put up with one or two. Um, but, uh, you know, proposals and demos and sending information, you've got to qualify and find out why. How is it going to be used? Is it relevant? Does this advance the sale? If you send it, what happens next? Have you contracted for a next step? Um, but none of that happens in most cases. All they do, did you know that 80% of full-time professional salespeople's careers are spent chasing people they should have closed or disqualified on the last conversation? That's crazy. The teams that I'm building, if they end up doing that, they will have a very, very short shelf life um, for the simple reason that it's absolutely counter to what customers need and want. I mean, why would you bother people with six voicemails and half a dozen emails um, uh, saying, I'm just following up on the proposal I sent. I wonder if you'd read it. No, it was never read. It went straight into the round file. It was a way of getting a cretin off the phone. Uh, Marcus, just before we wrap up, is there one or two things that you, you want our listeners to actually focus on to actually take their sales to the, well, to the next level, moving it forward, um, that they, aren't, they, they probably aren't doing now? Yeah, speak to your customers, real customers who spend money with you, and go back to them and find out why. Understand why they bought from you in the first place, why they keep buying from you. Uh, make sure that you're speaking to your customers regularly and find out what's not working, how you can improve. Uh, and then uh, go back to them quickly to tell them what you've done to, um, to uh, deploy what they've told you they need, if it's appropriate. Um, but again, 
you know, customer surveys. How often have you been to a hotel and then they ask you about the shower cap and the check-in and all that kind of crap? Um, and you never hear what they did with your feedback. Um, well, you need to speak to customers and marketing speak to customers. You don't live in an ivory tower. Your job is to understand the customer. Uh, product development, speak to your customers. Senior management, speak to your customers. Um, the number one reason why customers ditch suppliers is they don't feel appreciated. Um, make sure that the customer is at the heart of everything that you do and never forget that. And make sure your salespeople understand that their job is to serve the customer first. That's not a dirty word service. And the, uh, the analogy here is Jeeves off Jeeves and Wooster. Yeah. He yeah. served with grace, with elegance, despite having an idiot for a boss. Um, and he always bailed him out. And that's what we need to be. We need to be Jeeves. We are um, uh, Obi-Wan. We're Yoda. We are not Luke Skywalker. You have to make the customer the hero. So again, develop great customer hero stories where they are the hero. That, that's my advice in this economy. Excellent. Marcus Gauci, thanks for your time today. Hopefully our listeners will uh, be able to improve their sales funnel and turn them into thongs instead of granny knickers. <laughs> Working with leading experts who know all about the business you run because your business matters. <laughs>